Portland's food and drink scene is constantly growing and changing. When one spot closes, it seems like another pops up right around the corner. And it can be hard to keep up with all that's happening. Even food writers, they have a tough time keeping tabs. So today on CityCast Portland, we're talking with Oregonian restaurant reporter Michael Russell about some of his favorite new bars and restaurants that have opened up in the last year or so. And most of these have also made end-of-year top lists among food writers in the city, but a few have been overlooked. Like, did you know Portland has some of the best representation of Mayan food on the West Coast? So if you want a list of some of the most popular restaurants in town right now that you need to try, go grab a pen because we've got some names. It's Thursday, February 15th. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. Have you noticed any kind of trend in the types of restaurants and bars that have opened up recently because I feel like we've had a, a strong wave of pizza shops for the like last 10 years, just nonstop pizza. Are you seeing anything else in the restaurant cards for us this year? I mean, more pizza, no doubt about it. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. I did a big pizza roundup last fall and the day it ran, I was able to find six new pizzerias that were about to open in the next, you know, three to six months. So those have all opened. I haven't really even been to any of them. Mm -hmm. You know, if you came here for, uh, to get psyched about a new restaurant, this might disappoint you a little bit, but the thing I'm seeing the most right now is like risk aversion. We are seeing new openings, maybe more than you would expect, but a lot of them are pretty modest. They're definitely looking for concepts that will, you know, resonate with people in Portland. Some of them are like personal things. Like I just wrote about a place called, um, Warsugai, which is a Chinese American dish from Detroit that's also called almond boneless chicken. And uh, there's a chef from Portland who happens to know this dish from finding it at a Beaverton restaurant as a kid. And that chef named Kai Ku, who was at various restaurants in town, he's just opened a restaurant with that dish as the name. You know, so that is highly personal. That's one thing. But on the other hand, it seems like you know, Chinese American food, people like it. So fried chicken, you know, sounds pretty good. Like I think <laughs> you're not seeing yeah. people go out on a limb with um, really ambitious concepts. That's the thing we're not seeing a ton of. The only place like that in the past few years is um, Khan, which is sort mm -hmm. of, a, feels more and more like an outlier as time goes on. Yeah. Well, so give us your top five favorite new places then. Let's put them in order of most affordable to least. Oh, okay. Well, that's easy. It's kind of like the reverse of how I rank them in a way. Like my number one is the least expensive. Uh, the place that I ranked highest on my best of list that was also our restaurant of the year was a place called Kikiba. It's a Yucatecan restaurant on um, 82nd that you and I have talked about before. Oh, yeah. I like and, Kikiba. Oh my gosh. that was it, I was scratching my head because I felt like of all the new openings last year, a lot of them, if like a baseball analogy, they were singles, they were doubles. I wasn't seeing a lot of home runs. You know, established restaurant groups were opening things that weren't exactly um, blowing me out of the water. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, this little mom and pop Mayan restaurant on 82nd was serving dishes you really can't find many places on the West Coast. And not only that, they were doing them better than ever else I've had them. So... That was our clear cut number one. And the chef there, Manny Lopez, he worked at Blue Hour. 
for a while downtown. Then he ran Angel Food and Fun, which everyone was in love with when he was there. And uh, this is a place of his own on 82nd. And it's fantastic. Yeah, I I love Kiki Bond because he really did bring panuchos to Portland. Yes. Aside from his pabil, which I think he still has, which is like this like, you know, very specifically cooked uh, pork and clay pots and stuff. He also has these kind of like deep fried taco with a little pouch and they're I don't know and I feel like that you can't really find panuchos anywhere else well you're right and he was the one probably the person who popularized them the most but it's a tortilla that is uh fried there's a slit put into it they put in a little black bean puree inside the tortilla and that I'm assuming before they fry it and then it's topped with, you know, like you said, cochinita pibil or turkey. It's really common topping. Mm-hmm. It's a really like time intensive, uh, labor intensive dish. His were the best in town. Like I can say that pretty definitively. And I should give a shout out to his wife, Suni Para, because I know when I named the Panuchos number one, she was the one who had to make like a hundred of them the next day. So Damn. I don't want to just give love to Manny and not the person who was uh, doing a lot of the work. Suni Para Castillo is her full name. And they're both great. I mean, this is a true mom and pop. Mm-hmm. I actually went out last year and tried every Panucho in Portland. I think I went to 15 places. So it's a little more common now than you'd think. But a lot of them are from food carts. Um, funnily enough, food carts owned by people from the same very small town that Manny is from. and, and that That's his, so interesting. <laughs> and that his wife is also from the town. The town is called Manny. Uh, and I think it's like a few thousand Manny people. from Manny? Manny from Manny is correct, yeah. Um, <laughs> he also does um, really like what I would call maybe even like pre-Hispanic dishes like reno negro and reno blanco, which are these two stews. And the one I love, the black one, has like a pork meatloaf with egg stuffed through the middle that's then mm. cooked with a ricotta, like a like a toasted spices, like a almost inky black mixture. And then it's sliced, so you have this bright yellow yolk at the center, and then this pork sausage on the outside, a bit like a scotch egg. But again, this is like a Mayan dish, which I mean I'm I'm not a scholar of Mayan cuisine, but it feels very old when you eat it. You know, it's like mm-hmm. why would I can't imagine anyone coming up with this like very time intensive recipe. And there's really only two or three places in Portland that do it. There might be a half dozen in LA, um, might be one or two in San Francisco, but none of them that I've tried do it half as well as Manny. So that was our restaurant of the year. And it's also the least expensive restaurant in my top five. So nice. Yeah. I would just want to give a, a tip to anyone going in there. Um, make sure that you say Panucho and you don't end it with an A because <laughs> <laughs> that is a very different word in Spanish. The feminine of Panucho is not something you should be saying in Kikiba. Okay. Note to self. So yeah, no, number two on the expensiveness scale I'm going to go with L'Orange. We've talked about L'Orange before as well, I believe. Um, But to recap, the chef is named Joel Stocks, and he used to be at Holdfast, which was a fine dining restaurant, but stripped down where him and his co-chef, Will Price, were, they would serve every dish. They would wash the dishes at the end of the night. Uh, Very DIY, but the Mm -hmm. cooking was at a fairly high, let's say one plus Michelin star level. Wow. So... At L'Orange, they're purposefully trying to bring back this sort of like old Portland thing. Think old school Mediterranean, very French-influenced food with execution at a very high level, but affordable. I mean, a lot of the dishes there are under $20. 
Um, there's some interesting specials that might rise above that, but you know, really you can go in, you can have a couple glasses of wine and you know, it's not like a lot of new Portland restaurants. You're getting in and out for two fifty, three hundred dollars with tip. Like this is a fairly affordable place. And and he is did start doing a tasting menu early in the week. So you can check out their website and see if that might be an option for you. Yeah, these prices look great. These dishes are beautiful. That's yeah. a, I'm just looking, you know, when you, when you talk about the food, I always go to Google if I look like I'm doing something, that's what I'm doing. And they're just <laughs> gorgeous. Um, anyhow, well, so that's two. What's another one? I would say number three, Yawarat. And that's a restaurant that is inspired by the Chinese food that you can find in Bangkok's Chinatown. So... It's a lot of dishes that feel very Chinese, but incorporate Thai ingredients. And Yawarat is the name of the main road that runs through Bangkok's Chinatown. Oh. I've actually visited there. It's a cool place. It's like if you're in Bangkok, you kind of end up going there because there's lots of cool restaurants. Weirdly, I ended up finding this Bangladeshi restaurant that I totally loved in Thailand and went back a few times. So I did, I kind of missed out on all the actual Chinese food that <laughs> the owner of Portland's Yawarat and his team found while going there. Earl Ninsom. Yeah, he's he's got a little empire going. He does. This is the person behind Longban, Phuket Cafe, Hot Yai, Padi. He brings talented chefs over from Thailand. They work with some sort of like Portland food all-star, like whether they're bartenders or chefs. And here he's got Sam Smith, who used to be the chef at Tusk, and he's got Eric Nelson, a bartender, Kyle Webster, another bartender who owns Expatriate. But the place is just fun. And a lot of the dishes here, again, are under $20. You're going to need to order a few to, to build out a meal, but um, it's still relatively inexpensive. Yeah. Um, I went with five other friends uh, just a week ago, and we ordered the Beer Tower, which is a three-liter tower of uh, Singha Thai beer kept cold with like a little ice column in the center and you just pour your own beers. It's a lot of fun. It's a good vibes place and the dishes are delicious there too. I think like the signature thing is this uh, deep fried chive cake. Uh, it's very like a dim sum dish almost. I'm not sure where mm. they found it in Thailand, but somewhere they loved it. They brought it back. Uh, and the other must orders are like noodles and then these custard buns at dessert. Nice. All right. So we have Kikiba, Lorange, Yawarat. We got two more. Okay. A little more expensive than Yawarat. And maybe Yawarat and Lorange, you might flip those two. I'm, I'm not totally sure. They're about the same in terms of price. Uh, so number four, rising in expensiveness is a place called Xiaoye, which is Mandarin for midnight snack. And you might think this is a Chinese restaurant, but actually it's like a global restaurant. Oh, okay. Xiaoye is run by a couple who are from Los Angeles. Their names are Louis Lin and Jolene Chen. And they call their restaurant a first-generation American restaurant, which I think is their just, just their way of saying they, that they'll have something from El Salvador on the menu. They'll have something from Japan on the menu, Korea, Taiwan, which is their own heritage. Jolene is a designer, and Xiaoye is like very much like Jolene's vision for a very charming, very approachable place you just kind of want to relax inside of, if you're me. And uh, it kind of has like a French countryside farmhouse vibe to it with yellow gingham curtains and mismatched chairs and plates and stuff like that. So um, 
but you are, you are going to spend a bit more there and the portions are pretty small, um, especially the miniature appetizers that they do. They're having a lot of fun with the food. I thought that might be like a potential restaurant of the year for me, but I didn't have quite enough dishes that just that I where I walked away being like, oh, I need to come back for that. How do you spell that? So Xiao X I A O. Oh, yeah, Y E. And they're in a former dog grooming parlor in Hollywood, and they kept the sign up of the dog grooming parlor, which I think is pretty great. So if you see a sign that says "Beauty for the Beast." You're in the right place. This was uh, Brooks Restaurant of the Year, in, or this was Eater P- PDX's Restaurant of the Year. So, um, you know, it's interesting that this was a year when we had multiple different restaurants of the year from various different publications yeah. where we've had years like with Eam where everybody just named Eam Restaurant of the Year or Khan mm-hmm. or mm, Han Oak a few years back. We've had some disagreement among the food writers in town, which I actually think is great. That's great. I think it's great. Spreading the love. Yeah. All right, well, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, more of Michael's top restaurant picks. All right, so Kiki Ba, Lorange, Yaorat, Xiaoye, what's the most expensive of your new favorite places? (laughs) Well, it's not Bell Pine at the Ritz-Carlton, I'll tell you that. But no, I'm kidding. That is a very expensive restaurant. Jeju is a place that I did not have in my top five, but my second meal there was so much fun that I pushed it all the way to number two in my ranked guide. Them or Xiaoye are probably the most expensive restaurant on my best new restaurants list. Jeju is Korean barbecue from uh, Peter Cho and Sun Young Park from Hanok. And it's not just Korean barbecue. You've probably had Korean barbecue, whether it's at Toji on Hawthorne or maybe Nakwan in Beaverton. So at Jeju, uh, Peter Cho and his chefs are making um, barbecue using meat that they're butchering themselves at the restaurant. So this is not a new thing for Portland, like everything from grain and gristle to Renata, the Italian restaurant where Jeju is now. Jeju replaced Renata. Oh, over in Southeast? Yeah. It took over that really beautiful space that used to be Renata. And and Renata did whole animal butchery as well. So Jeju's sort of taken that over. Jeju gets like a whole big slab of cow. And they have a butcher who works with them who then cuts the animal up into various steaks and chuck. And depending on what came off of that cow... And what's still available, that's what they serve that night. So you never really know what exactly you're going to get at Jeju. You don't do your own cooking at Jeju. So the cooking's done by the the cooks in the kitchen, and then it's brought to your table. There's a lot of really great sides there as well. Uh, I was sort of obsessed with this rice dish, which had so much butter in it, uh, that gets crisped up in the old Renata oven. But uh, yeah, I was... uh, I had a really good time there the second meal, and I think you will too. It's $75 per person, so that's why I have it as the most expensive. I see. Can I tell you my immediate disappointment when I <laughs> learned about this restaurant? What's that? I haven't been, so I'm sure it's awesome, and uh, it looks really good. But here was my immediate disappointment, and it's only because of, it was my fault. I thought it was something else. So there's Jeju Island. It is known yes. for its female divers 
who can hold their breaths for like five minutes and they go and they get this abalone. So when I saw that they, you know, that the Han Oak people were doing, opened up a restaurant called Jeju, I was like, oh shit, let's go, Korean seafood. And I was so excited and I thought it was gonna be a play on the island, you know, history. And then I was like, oh, it's barbecue. <laughs> you know? And so that was on me. That was on me. <laughs> but I think it's also because I've just always wanted to go to Jeju Island. So not their fault, but I I was a little like, oh, cool. Why'd you name it Jeju then? And I still want to ask, why'd you name it Jeju then? Well, I can actually answer that. So Hooray. Peter Cho, the chef, his grandfather lived on Jeju Island and had a farm there. Jeju is kind of takes on this like um, land of milk and honey vibe. Mm -hmm. When we were in Korea, there was this vending machine selling Jeju Island persimmons. And they were just Mm -hmm. like beautiful persimmons in a box, like kept at the right temperature that you could order from a vending machine. They're also known for their black pigs. That's a special breed of pig that um, raised on Jeju Island that's prized as being some of the best pork you can find. So what I'm trying to say is like Jeju isn't just a seafood destination. It's known as being kind of the the fruit basket, the pork, the bread basket. I don't know, but you don't, what's a yeah. pork basket? I don't know. That's probably something you get at a buffet. <laughs> but, uh. it, it's a foodie destination is what I'm hearing. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's like anything delicious that you're going to eat in Korea, it's, it's going to come from, uh, oh, Jeju Island strawberries or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. They do have like a dry-aged kampachi starter. Which is exactly what it sounds like. They take kampachi and they and they dry age it in their own little fridges, and and that's like a pretty cool. Um, yeah. You know, it's not exactly a seafood focused restaurant though. But you know, if you've never had dry aged fish, it's worth it to try that dish. Uh, the other fun thing is when I was there, um, I wrote in my review, Colin Malloy and Carson Ellis, who is Malloy's wife and an illustrator in town. Malloy is the lead singer of the Decembrists got up mm-hmm. and just did karaoke, like randomly. They were the only people doing karaoke uh, that night. But oh, wait, Jeju has karaoke? They did that night and a fog machine. <laughs> I was surprised. I don't know why that's so funny. Claudia, I walked in there and I I, I know who Carson Ellis is because she's done children's books and she has like very red hair. I kind of did a double take and then I was like, oh, the guy with his back to me, that's probably Colin from the Decemberists. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I got to eating. I wasn't paying attention. And they get up and they they do the Pogue song, Fairy Tale of Old New York. It's kind of a Christmas song, but a dark and twisted one. And, and they do it together? They did it together. And they oh, knocked it out of cute. the park with the fog machine. And uh, I swear, <laughs> I was the only person in the restaurant who knew what was going on. Like, I think most people didn't know who he was. They were like, why is this happening to me? I'm trying to eat this pork. <laughs> That, but do you know what's so funny is that I think I would have had a similar feeling and I know who he is. <laughs> I was just like, why? I'm trying to eat some pork that's not seafood. Like, let's let's focus on this right now. But I also, I, I get overwhelmed easily with sensory stuff. So I'm sure it was lovely. He did a very good job. Yeah. Well, thank you, Michael, for all of these awesome uh, recommendations. Just so you know, I'm trying to go to a new restaurant every month. I know that's like nothing for you, but for me who lives in St. John's, it's a huge deal. Um, so this is a good start. I mean, I've been to Kikiba, but I haven't I haven't really been to anything else. I'm trying to think. I'll give you a personalized tip of wh- where you should go next, because I feel like I, I'm getting to know your taste a little bit here. And it won't be pizza. <laughs> it's going to be all pizza. Um, cool. Well... Michael, again, thank you for hanging out with us. My pleasure. Thanks, Claudia. And now for some events coming up this weekend. 
This Saturday, the Oregon Craft Spirit Festival is happening at the Red on Salmon Street from 5 to 9 p.m. And tickets are going from $50 to $80 for VIP early entry. Now, all tickets get you a commemorative glass, entry to the event, bites from chefs, and tastes from over 35 distillers. 35 distillers. Yeah, you might not want to drive there. And the annual Biamp Portland Jazz Festival is starting this Friday. It goes for two weeks across 30 plus venues in town. You should really check out the lineup because it's stacked. Everyone from John Batiste, Sudan Archives, and Casa Overall to Portland's own Mel Brown B3 Organ Group. This is gonna be awesome. For even more local events and news, check out our daily newsletter, Hey Portland. You can find all links in the show notes. That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend, rate or leave us a review. It really does help us out. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's.